on this beautiful Arizona Saturday morning. Welcome, it's Rosie on the house. This is the Outdoor Living Hour, the third Saturday of the month. We have Jay Harper of the Farm's Choice. Welcome back, Mr. Harper. Good to be here. Hard to believe it's... How did we get here already? It's crazy. I mean, beautiful, beautiful time of year. If we could just freeze frame it so it just stayed March for... About nine months. <laughs> On March 2nd, it was my uh, son's birthday, Remy. He turned six. And we spent almost the whole weekend in the arena on the horses, and we actually got tans. We got tans the first weekend in March. And that was <laughs> the weekend after it snowed like a foot right. in the valley. So, you know, if you uh, don't like the weather in spring in Phoenix, just wait a minute or two, right? It'll change probably, or a month or a, two, a weekend. Or, well, we know it's going to change in a month or two. I mean, we know what's coming. That's the bad part about spring, in, in my opinion. I, I, you can't beat the weather, but in the back of your mind, you know it's getting warmer and a little warmer, and it's beautiful, and it gets more beautiful. But you know that at some point, when does beautiful end? <laughs> and just heat begins right mm-hmm. so um we got a good while yet the weather's great uh people should be getting out in the garden and enjoying it for sure this time of year are we too late to plant anything or are we just right in the perfect season to... oh not not at all now we would have recommended you had your tomato plants in a while ago maybe a few weeks ago but it was so cold clear through the whole month of february that a lot of people probably are a little behind including Yours truly, uh, getting tomato plants planted, but uh, they've been in now for a little while. But uh, getting a little bit late on tomatoes, make sure you plant an early producing variety if you're going to plant them right now. Probably your cherry types, uh, yellow pears, early girls, um, you know, they're very quick uh, maturing uh, varieties would be best. But peppers, squash, eggplants, melons, cucumbers. Right smack dab in the middle of that. It's a great time to be getting uh, all of those uh, vegetables in. So the spring or summer or warm season vegetables, remember, that are the ones you actually pick a fruit. They're actually a fruit uh, that, that you pick off of as opposed to the winter vegetables, which are our leafy things, our root uh, things. Now, there's obviously exceptions. but So anything that you can basically go out there and pick a fruit off of, like a cucumber, a squash, a melon, uh, you know, an eggplant, a pepper, a tomato. That's going to be a warmer season crop for sure. And it's it's smack dab in the time to do that. So make sure you don't delay and make sure you've prepared the soil. Make sure the tomato plants that you do have in, you keep fertilized regularly as well. When we're talking getting in, are we talking from seed or from a starter plant already? When, when we're talking right now, we're talking already started plants Uh, seeds you need to back up probably a month at least so if you were going to plant a tomato plant from seed from seed you'd want to start it about christmas time indoors or in a hothouse or in some type of structure so that you can plant that tomato plant sometime about the middle of february if you're going to plant squash or melons from seed you probably would have wanted to do that maybe a few weeks ago not saying you can't, um, but uh, depending on the size of your garden as well. So most people, you know, a couple, three zucchini plants in one mound is ample. A lot uh, of people will say zero 
example for well, zucchini. I like it. I love zucchini. It's just that usually by the time you get done eating it, you're kind of tired of it. You know? uh, but uh, but I you know I never really get tired of it. But you're right. So to 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 buy a whole pack of seeds, not that seeds are expensive, but it's kind of false economy in a way, and depending on how big your garden is, if you've got a humongous garden and you know you have to go out and buy forty or fifty vegetable starts, well, you know then that starts adding up, and you might want to think about seeds, the which thi- most of us don't. And I was no. <clears throat> I was fooled by that economy of scale thinking, you know, get all these seeds. Well, you end up kind of going crazy on the seeds, and not that there's anything wrong with that, but oh, let's try this. That let's can add try up that. too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And you've got varieties that don't work or, you know, you're, you're planting your success rate for a, a, a couple bucks a starter plant and how few you need if you're just managing it for your home garden. It really is hard to beat just getting the starter plants. Now, what is good to know, though, are the things that you can sow the seeds directly into the ground. Um, and, you know, and of course, Things like root crops, you don't have much choice. Carrots, radishes, beets, turnips. You, you pretty much have to plant seeds. I mean, you can find starters, but that's kind of weird. And you want to plant a lot of those. Lettuce and spinach, leafy things you might want to. And those you can sow directly into the to planting bed. You don't have to start them you know, separately like a tomato plant. If you're going to plant it from seed, you're sowing the seed when it's way too cold to be planting them in the ground. So you start them in a warm spot, then you transplant them. But things that you plant a whole row of or a bunch of, you can generally sow them right directly in the ground. Now, those are things you want to plant, you know, you want to buy a pack of seed for. But, you know, if you're going to do a couple, three zucchinis, you know, that's that's something you, you maybe just want to consider. I'll, you know. And just the, t- the time for me is where I get my money back on just buying the starter versus having to constantly be managing all those little starter ones. Well, and if you're like me, you're generally already a little bit late anyway. So right. <laughs> looking for starters and as big as I can find them, right? Now, when you're looking at your starters, is there anything specific to know as you're picking them out? Or they pretty much all have about the same amount of care and fertilizer. It's it's what you do once you, you're there in your possession where you really got to be careful. Well, you you know, the key is they, they should look good. I mean, they shouldn't be yellow. They shouldn't be leggy and flopping out over the edge of the pot and trailing. You know, they, they ought to look nice and fresh and healthy and green and vibrant, um, you know, to the eye. It ought to be appealing. If you want to take the next step, and gently pop them out of the pot and make sure it's just not a big mass of roots. Uh, they, just like a tree or a vine or a shrub, could get root-bound, um, although it's a lot easier to rectify it with a vegetable starch. You can kind of peel the roots apart and slit them and break them up a little bit. But So make sure they're not root-bound. Make sure they're not overgrown. Make sure they're, they're nice and green and healthy-looking. Uh, as a, as the opposite of that, make sure they're not just little dinky things. Um, sometimes nurseries get a little desperate or the grower gets a little desperate and things are in short supply, especially about now when the season's been going for a little bit. And we ship things that may be, you know, a little too young to, sh- to, uh, to ship and plant. And you try and take those out of the starter pot and all the soil crumbles and falls away from the roots and the plant can then be in distress. So it ought to be well-rooted, but not 
root bound and it ought to look good and healthy. And then, of course, make sure it's a variety that will do well here. So do a little research ahead of time. Then putting it in soil at your home, it never looks as good as what you're getting from the nursery unless you're going straight like Mel's mix or some kind of direct planting soil. Well, the soil that they're growing these plants in is is a soilless mix. It's all organic, you know, material, peat moss or, you know, shredded bark or cocoa fiber or a mixture of all of those, maybe even some, you know, uh, manure of some type that's been de- decomposed or composted. So, and then you might see some little white stuff in there that's perlite or a, you know, it's a product in there that keeps the soil a little bit loose and improves drainage. So, no, you you unless you just went down a foot deep, took all the soil out of your garden, ordered a soil mix, had it delivered, and you dumped it in the garden. You're not ever going to make your earth look the way that that potting soil, basically, that these plants are grown in the same. Now, that's one way to tell if you have a good amount of organic material, though, is your soil should be darker than it was when you first started. Um, so you want to add enough composted material, organic material, um, to the garden so that it does darken it up some. It won't stay that way, but at least it ought to be good and dark. And then I like to, when I'm all done planting, I like to take some compost, shredded bark, uh, leafy material, straw, something, and cover the ground with it that holds moisture. It, It acts as insulation. It keeps the soil from getting too hot, too cold. It reduces weeds. When you do get weeds, they're a lot easier to pull out. Um, so really consider putting a layer of compost or mulch or uh, organic material, shredded bark, something on top of the ground. And then next year when the garden's done, you can just kind of till that in because it's going to be pretty well composted at that point. It's been sitting there all season. So, And that's not a one-time thing. Soil condition is ongoing. I mean, your, your, your priority is really the soil before it's the plant. Absolutely. If you want to ensure success, you've got to prepare the soil, and you have to do it every time you plant here. As I mentioned, you know, it's going to look dark when you work all that organic material into our soil, but as especially once it goes through the summer, most of that remaining organic material is going to solubilize, disappear. Uh, you know, it's, it's just going to be gone. It's going to dissipate. So it just doesn't, with our heat and the amount of water we apply, uh, you know, we just can't keep organic material in the soil very long here. Uh, you know, somebody could prove me wrong and, and have two truckloads delivered in a 10 by 10 area, and you could have too much organic material based on, you do need some amount of uh, earth or sand or something besides organic material to hold the soil together. If it's too loose and unbinding, you know, you have a hard time watering the plants Depending on what the organic material is, it could stay too wet or it could dry out too quick. So you could go overboard, I suppose. And even watering, you're leaching out a lot of the minerals, too. When we had our Yuma farmer in at the beginning of the year, I believe it was Desert Premium Farms, we're talking lettuce, they were saying 40% of the water they used to <laughs> water is to leach out the calcium that's in the water. <laughs> Right. So you you do end up, and and especially here where we end up watering as the temperatures go up, we water more, we have to replace those nutrients 
in, in what's already a nutrient-depleted situation because of our desert environment anyway. And if you're watering to leach out calcium, how many other minerals and de- deposits are you leaching out that are— Well, you're leaching the- everything out. You know, <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's Rosie on the house. We're talking uh, gardening. If you've got a question, you can text questions at 411-923 or send us an email, info at rosieonthehouse.com. And if you're looking for an organic way to control the bugs that are in your garden, eating all your hard work and the vegetables and the produce that you've got right there on your own property, our friends at Bonite have the answer for you. And Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew. Captain Jack's works two ways. It works on contact when you hit them or when the insect feeds on the plants or produce that you're growing. And it's not just for vegetables use. You can use it on flowers, berries, trees, shrubs, fruit. Captain Jack's is all organic. In fact, it's so safe you can eat the produce the same day you apply Captain Jack's. You can find Captain Jack's all over the state, including Mesquite Valley Growers in Tucson, Summer Winds in Mesa, or Treeland Nursery in Mesa. You can find a local retailer as well at boni.com. That's B-O-N-I-D-E. If you're looking for an organic way to protect your garden and landscape, Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew. Bonide products are family made in America. Welcome back to Rosie on the House. We were just talking about watering last segment. And how about all this water the state received? Talk about a, a hydrated Arizona. That's a you know a couple weeks ago they started letting water out uh, of Granite Reef Dam down the normally dry Salt River bed. So we actually have a Salt River um, running in places. I the, saw a lot of criticism on that, but I mean they've got to be able to accommodate for the snow that's going to well, be melting and coming behind it. The problem is storage on the Verde side. So the Verde River only has two two dams, and one of them is really set up as a flood control dam, not a storage dam. So once they're full, which they are, they were they were <laughs> virtually full, and the amount of water that was coming in was going to... You, you want know, to see a mess and set us back, see those, keep those dams full and let them flood out. <laughs> it's just too bad we don't have a place that we could take that water from Granite Reef and send it to Pinal County, for instance, and let them store it for a while. They could use it down there, so... But how often does it do we get that much? I mean, that would be once every ten year. You solution eight years. Yeah, it it doesn't happen that often. It goes in cycles. It seems like it'll do it every year for a few years, and then I don't know how long it's been since the last time they had let water out. It's been several years for sure. I saw something where we a couple weeks ago we were already over the amount of acre feet for water in our reservoirs. Then we received the first six months of all last year. You know, that October we had was, you know, pretty amazing. And then you've put all of this on top of it. And so, yeah, it's, you know, it's it bodes well. It, it's, uh, it couldn't have come uh, at a more needed time. At a more time. needed time. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, somebody up there was watching out for us, I think. Amen. So what does that do for our spring gardening aside from, and we'll get into it after the news break because it's too long of a conversation, but aside from a huge population of weeds, what well, I was just going to say, what it really does is <laughs> it makes everything grow better, including the weeds. So the spring flush on all of your landscape plants, uh, you'll notice, you know, has been pretty heavy. It's started already, obviously, uh, but uh, it, the stuff we don't want uh, 
started a long time ago. I mean, it's now some of it is three and four and five feet tall. I've noticed driving around the big cheese weed, the big big leaf Malbo uh, plant. Uh, man, they're they're like trees now. And what is that cheese weed? I mean, it it seems like you can drive out in the natural desert and not see it anywhere, but you come into any area of any kind of human population. And you've got cheese weed. Yeah, in all honesty, I don't know, you know, where it came from or why it's here, but uh, you're right. It seems to be more in uh, uh, the urban, suburban areas as opposed to it's certainly not uh, native out in the desert. You don't see really any of it out there. How did it get its name? Cheese weed? Good question. If I'd have known we were going to talk about it, we'd have looked it up. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh it's a it's a fast growing deal and it gets big and the My, problem is once it dries out and it's you got then you got a big dry dead and it gets a huge trunk on it, so it's boy if you see that coming up you want to control it right off the bat. Our property for whatever reason has uh, its fair share of cheese weed, and if that trunk gets too big the goats won't even eat the stem. I mean you could leave them tied there all day and they just they at some point it gets too big. They go for the leaves and the small stems first. Mm-hmm. They get down to that trunk, they they would starve as before they ate that. And I think it's because it, it probably just gets to the point they can't. Yeah, it might be just absolutely un, unedible. So, yeah, and then you, and so then you're deemed with mechanical removal um, of some type, and then you got to get rid of it and dispose of it, and because you can't, com- it's hard to compost big thick stuff like that too. Um, you almost need to run it through a chipper. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what the bush hog on the John Deere's for. <laughs> there you go. And these methods are all for people like us. You kind of joked about it in the last segment that are uh, maybe a little late starting seed, so I'm going to the planter. Well, we're a little late applying pre-emergence, so we're going yeah. to mechanical apl- removal. Is there any use in putting down pre-emergent now? Well, the, well, pre-emergent will start preventing weeds from the time it's you know incorporated into the soil, worked in, watered in. Whatever it's obviously too late for the for the uh, material that's there now, but this isn't the end of it. I mean, we're going to have weeds that come up this summer. You know, if we get any monsoon moisture or any moisture, you know, they're they're saying this could go on through March and into April or May with this El Nino weather pattern. So uh, I certainly would not hesitate to put down. In fact, it's really a good time to do it now and then the fall application is what would have prevented what we're looking at now so a fall and spring application of a good pre-emergent herbicide will save you lots of unnecessary labor i think weeding is one of the most frustrating things because it really doesn't accomplish anything it just it just kind of gets rid of stuff that you wish hadn't been there anyway (laughs) so it's not it's not very constructive and there's so many constructive things we could do absolutely yeah. biggest anxiety with weeding is you get done all this time and it's a temporary fix. It's a whole lot more fun to plant something than it is to just have to go out there and weed before you can even plant something. They are very opportunistic and it's our job they to are. eliminate that opportunity from the beginning with certain types of pre-emergence. Correct. That's, that's a great way to put it. All right. Well, we'll talk about different types you can apply. Uh, I know if we've got lawn, there's a certain one that applies for spurge. There's some on the market now that advertises post and uh, a weed killer and a pre-emergent. We'll dive through that here at Rosie on the House.
Thanks for sticking with us back here at Rosie on the House in our outdoor living hour. We were talking about weed control and weed prevention, but you know what else you're doing with weed prevention more than anything is, is insect elimination. I mean, that, that's just harboring for all the pests. And I mean, if we can eliminate the weeds to begin with, then we don't have to kill the weed later. And if we do it fast enough or once the weeds are up, you know, now we're eliminating additional chemical spray for bug control. You know, weeds are also com- competition for water and nutrients as we get, you know, further into the season. So you, they're competing for water and nutrients. They're harboring insects and even diseases in some cases, like like powdery mildew will grow on a lot of our weed varieties here. So it's just a good idea to control them. And they're all much easier to prevent, if you can, with pre-emergent or catch them when they're young. I mean, when they're young, you can just go out there with your foot a lot of times and just kind of pull them up, you know, just kind of take the toe of your shoe or boot and get a little bit under the ground and the roots and everything will come up, you know. But as they get bigger and they get well-rooted, then they're a lot harder to get rid of. They're a lot harder for, it takes more herbicide to kill them. If you're going to spray a little herbicide when they're tender and young, they burn up real quick. If you can't prevent them with pre-emergent, try and control them before they get big. Then you also don't have the problem of disposing with of a bunch of dead material. If you spray big weeds, then you got big dead weeds <laughs> to contend with. Um, and certainly you don't want to let them start flowering and go to seed, or you're going to have weeds again. Sometimes in the same season, they can regenerate and grow back. So what types of weed killers... We'll, we'll kind of work backwards now because uh, we, we've got existing weeds we're going to try and manage, and then we'll go to, to pre-emergence. What, what am I looking for? Well, first of all, you've got to identify the weed. Do you have a broadleaf weed, something that's not a grass? You know, grasses can be weeds too. Petunia can be a weed if it's in the middle of your rose bushes. <laughs> so it's just a plant that's misplaced in the wrong spot. So do you have a grassy-leafed weed or a, or a broadleafed weed? If you've got a broadleafed weed then we can use, you know, a certain type of chemical uh, as opposed to grass. Now where's it growing? So that complicates things. So if I have a broadleafed weed growing amongst my broadleaf shrubbery, well, probably anything I kill one is going to kill the other. If I have a grassy weed growing in my grass lawn, well, the same thing that's going to kill the weed is going to kill my lawn. So we have to identify the weed and then identify where it's growing. Is it in gravel or is it in lawn? Is it in a flower bed amongst other plants? We have herbicides that will kill a grassy weed like Bermuda grass if it's growing in amongst your shrubbery. We can kill that grass without killing your shrub, even if it gets on it. And, and the opposite is true. If we've got a broadleaf weed growing in your grassy lawn, we can kill the broadleaf weed without hurting your lawn. So identify the weed, identify where it's growing, and then Take samples when you go into where you're going to buy your products from. Pull the weeds up. Put them in a bag. Don't wait three days. <laughs> let them dry out. and uh, Take them while they're fresh. Take them in. Say, uh, Mr. Nurseryman, here's the weeds I've got, and they're, they are growing in this kind of spot. How can you help me? And in all of these cases, whether it's pre-emergent or weed killer, it's— you know, you got to follow the directions. Well, that's part of what, why we need to identify the exact weed, identify exactly where it's growing, pick the correct product 
to control that and then be responsible, follow directions, how it's mixed, how it should be applied. Don't apply when it's windy or breezy. You would be amazed when you are spraying a spray in little tiny atomized particles of moisture, how far they, they call it drift, how far that will drift and can get on your neighbor's plants, your plants. So, you know, do it. There'll be some type of temperature restriction uh, as well on that product. Make sure you're applying it at the right time of day so it's not too hot or too cold. Make sure it's not windy. You know, use common sense. Don't go out there in your Bermuda shorts and flip-flops <laughs> and spray, you know, and get it all over yourself. Um, make sure you clean yourself up good. Make sure you clean, you use gloves. Make sure that, you know, uh, when you're done with your sprayer that you wash it out and clean it thoroughly. Um, so, you know, it, it, there's a lot of reasons that we've had issues environmentally over the years with certain things, and most of it is, is user error. It's been abused or misused or overused uh, and or used incorrectly, and that ends up with all kinds of repercussions. Follow the directions. When all else <laughs> fails. But no, from the start, before it fails, follow the directions. Right, before, before. <laughs> Now, is there anyone in particular that stands out um, over over years? Bonide has been with us a number of years, and uh, they've got a neem oil-based one that I found works real good. And it's, I, you know, I don't know that there's anything I can suggest better than what you said earlier. Get them young. You know, you know, I mean, ideally, using a pre-emergent in areas where you can to prevent you know things from coming up at all. Um, and then catch them when they're young. Don't let them go to seed. If you can, it's great. Ex- pulling weeds is great exercise. It stretches <laughs> your leg muscles. It stretches your back muscles. You know, you, you, you know, if they're not too big and you can get out there and, and pluck a few weeds every morning, um, you know, it's, it's great stretching exercise. And if they're not big and the soil is moist, you know, most of them pull out pretty easy. I think that would be the preferable thing would be to minimize them and then what ones you do get, catch them young when they're easy to pull. Um, unfortunately, we get situations like with this spring where it, it started not spring. It started in October and has been raining pretty regularly since then. And we've got now huge growth, which you, yeah, I don't think Paul Bunyan could pull these things up. You know, <laughs> they're, they're huge. They're well-rooted. So they're going to have to be, if you do mechanical, you're going to have to literally cut them off. Um, and, and then dispose of the material, um, and and uh, that takes time and space in our landfills, all of that. So um, these aren't the kind of weeds you could compost. Well, or, you could. Um, there again, those big old trunks won't compost very right. good, but the leafy material would compost. Sure, sure. There's Bef- no bef- as long as you get them before they before flower. they go to seed. Right. Yeah, if they're flowering or have seed on them, you don't want to probably compost them. Although. In theory, if you truly composted it to the temperatures that are required, it would eliminate a lot of the seed. But it, hardly ever do we eliminate it all. But, yeah. A couple of email questions here that have come in through Info at Rosie on the House or, or by text at 411-923. As so much of our phone use is not doing uh, talking, is talking on it. I mean, what percentage of your phone, your cell phone, are you talking on it versus doing something else digitally? <laughs> Oh, gosh, anymore? I don't know. But, yeah, <laughs> talking's a minor part of it, isn't it? 
I guess I've never thought about that that much, but it's certain. Yeah, it's certainly. You know, Certainly if we didn't way have less a, than half. A talk radio program where we take calls, I probably wouldn't have thought about it as much either because it's really changed the dynamic of how call, uh, you know, call and talk shows communicate. So much of it is digital. Or as good as cell phone, or as much as a cell phone can do, uh, <laughs> you still got to have listening experience to the listeners and hearing somebody in a car on a Bluetooth cutting in and out of service, going through mountain paths. No. It's just, it's not good listener experience. So we're a lot more picky on the calls we do screen. Uh, so anyway, with all that said, we are fielding your calls and if it's a good, clear connection, we can put it on air, but we're going to get through some of the email questions that have come in. Uh, spider mites. Someone's wrestling with spider mites. Is there an easy way to well, no, there's no easy way on spider mites, unfortunately. They they reproduce very very rapidly every four days or so. Um, they tend to uh, they tend to be on plants that can be a little bit harder to control and spray on anyway, very fuzzy or needly things. Think of Italian cypress or uh, junipers or uh, pines or and, and or rough, uh, leaf things, rose bushes to some degree, lantanas, those types of things. So, and then of course they they have a kind of a you know a, a webby surrounding around them. So, it it takes a, a certain product and usually some type of wetting agent on that product to make it stick and adhere better. Spinosad, the the advent of that has made it very safe to control mites. However, since it's an organic and can be used on almost anything, uh, and put a little bit of spreader sticker or a wetting agent in with that, and it'll make it work a lot better. But remember, you've got to do it probably every three to five days for several applications to make sure you get all the generations uh, of the mites. And then keeping your plants hosed off. The, the one good thing about all this rain is you know, mites kind of travel on dust particles. That's how they get moved from place to place. So we've had a lot enough rain to keep things washed off and our plants clean. That certainly helps. Uh, if you've got big Italian cypress and uh, get take a good heavy hard sprayer out there of, of just water once in a while and wash that dust out of them. Um, in especially May, June, early July before we get monsoon moisture, uh, that'll help control them as well. Gene with a five tool area code, which used to mean something. You know, <laughs> I, I remember when four eight zero was East Valley, six zero two was Central, and six two three was West. I, I mean, we get nine two eight numbers now of people that live in Southern area. You know, it's, well, everybody's using their cell phone. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So maybe, maybe not Central Southern Arizona. This uh, Gene wants to know about growing blackberries. You know, blackberries. There's there's some varieties that that actually do pretty well here in the desert. With the, you've got to still plant them in the right spot. Afternoon shade is is pretty much a must. Um, they need a fair amount of water. I mean, if you go up in northern Arizona, central Arizona, at the base of the Mogollon Rim, and find wild blackberries, you know, growing, they're generally always along Tonto Creek, Christopher Creek, Horton Creek, where they're, you know, in a little bit of shade and and a fair amount of good moisture. So shady side of the house, shady yard. Good moisture and a lot of room. Remember, there, you know the, you know the old uh, briar patch, bramble patch of berries. There, they take up some room. So my favorite thing I pick out about spring is my peach trees are right out the master bathroom window. Nice. And 
every morning I just I get to this pink bloom yep. that yep. you don't see anywhere else. Growing deciduous fruit trees has kind of a double value in the landscape because they you get the flush of beautiful white to pink to in some cases reddish colored blossoms in in the early spring and then you get the fruit to pick and harvest peaches there's a peach called a red baron that has a big old double red flower mm. and it's a great peach as well so i'm gonna have to get that now just for the flower that'd be a perfect compliment to the yeah <laughs> the pink that's existing it's a great just ornamental even if it didn't produce a single peach it's a great tree to have in the landscape if you're looking for some a small flowering tree it, it's awesome what are some other great color trees or plants well, we're blessed, you know, this time of year we've got bougainvilleas and, you know, lantanas and hibiscus and Mexican bird of paradise and desert bird of paradise and cassias have been blooming beautifully this year. And, you know, even the, the much maligned oleander, you know, they're going to, they're here in another month or so, they'll be in their splendor. And then we've got trees, Palo Verdes obviously are, you know, take up a lot of our tree color, uh, but jacarandas and uh, bottle brush and there's a bunch of those that you know are good for flowering if you're looking for flowering plants and trees we are blessed in this climate to have a pretty good variety of those final segment of our outdoor living hour coming up next here at rosie on the house it is a great time to enjoy the blooms we love them for the view and the smell but it's not just people that enjoy this time of year it's rabbit and deer those blooms that's just like sweet honey to them and you know if you've got rabbits or deer they're very persistent and they do they don't eat the ugly stuff first they eat the pretty stuff that's in bloom and smells good first if you want them to go away we'll make them go away with bonites deer and rabbit go away all natural go away can be applied directly to plants you want to protect and keeps animals from eating them for up to 45 days which is longer than most of the blooms are going to be out go away liquid can be applied directly to vegetables fruit for protection up to the day you want to harvest them go away also comes in granular that'll let you create a barrier and protects your landscape for up to two months Bonite products are family-made in America, and you can find them all over the state, including Mesquite Valley Growers in Tucson, Treeland Nurseries in Mesa, or Summer Winds in Glendale. Bonite products are family-made in America. You know, Mr. Harper, this has been a very unusual spring, just with the amount of temperature fluctuation, the amount of water. I have missed my citrus fertilizing for valentine's day projected we're about a month removed from that am i just in trouble or can i give it a little light dusting you know it it wouldn't hurt as long as you're very careful make sure you with any plant make sure it's watered good before the soil is moist before you apply any fertilizer on any plant whether it's potted house plant or a citrus tree Uh, make sure you don't exceed the recommended dosage and then water it in good afterwards I would not hesitate to to fertilize citrus really all the way through the spring. Memorial Day, again, is our next one. So you miss this one if you're doing it now. Maybe you back the Memorial Day feeding up to maybe closer to the 4th of July. That would be fine. I know it's not really designed for gardening at the uh, time, but I put all of my gardening to-dos in my uh, Homes Auto Home Uh Maintenance app that we've started using for our weekly home maintenance product. I can still put all of there my landscape to-dos in there. Absolutely. Now, I still have to do them. <laughs> well, you know, the only problem with having the little phone things is sometimes you. I'd like to see that whole 
month or a couple of months at a time when you're trying to plan things out. Uh, so I'll use it for that. But again, going back to this thing we hold in our hand, it's it's uh, hardly uh, used as a phone anymore. You know, a friend of mine was uh, involved in the early development of cell phone applications, and they were talking about texting. He goes, why would somebody have a perfectly good phone that they wouldn't want to talk into and they'd want to send texts? <laughs> well, our home maintenance calendar has been a quite a big success, unless it's there at my working desk. It's not my daily reminder. And, right. You know, like you said, for a big picture screenshot, it's fine, but daily operation, it's just not not practical in, in a lot of today's world, but completely sidetracked us there. I wanted to talk about lawns before we wrap up this hour too. Where are we at in our seeing well, our Bermuda you know, starting to? You know, you know, your people that didn't overseed their Bermuda might be starting to show a few signs of greening up a little bit. Usually about this time, we'll start to see a, a little of that. You know, you don't really need to do too much till it's pretty greened up, other than control the weeds in it. If you have a winter lawn, you know, I would probably recommend feeding it one more time if you haven't recently Um, because they'll go a good month, six weeks yet. Uh, We don't want to let them go much into May, though. We'll talk about that next month, maybe how to transition that. But certainly middle of March to the middle of April, we want to keep that, that cool season lawn going yet. So good fertilization if it has been four to six weeks since you last applied, I would probably do that again now. I spent some time this week looking at the Farms Choice website. I didn't realize how wide a variety of product that uh, that's become. It's amazing what all you can do with chicken poop, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, from from just you know unscreened raw material to uh, you know pathogen free. Uh, pellets and crumbled product to a liquid product. Uh, we, we do a lot of different formulations and, and uh, depending on how our, our users, our farmers, our golf course customers want to apply it, uh, we try and have a product that works best for them. And when you say that, I mean, we've had Ed Curry on who's from Southern Arizona, does a lot of organic tomato or, and peppers. I think it's peppers. Yeah. Um, he uses a ton of the farm's choice. You've got uh, Green Valley pecans, uh, the the big pecan growers in southern Arizona. Uh, endless number of golf courses. Lots of golf courses. Uh, in Yuma, a lot of leafy green growers that grow lettuce and spinach. Those those users use our product. Uh, dates, date growers, citrus growers. Um, so there's there's really nothing you can't use it on. Uh, we have the food safe product, you know, safety product that are pathogen uh, uh, free, pasteurized products that you can use on leafy greens. That's not the egg, right? No. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> this uh, is a different food safe product. Right. We don't eat it, but you can use it to grow your food. <laughs> Correct. Got it. But we do, you know, with organics, you do need to be careful. You know, the organic materials can, can you know, have some things. Have to be done right. Uh, and have to be done right and taking certain precautions uh, as far as timing and what products you use. And that's why we have so many different products that 
again, it's kind of like the weed killer. Make sure you're using the right fertilizer on the right product at the right time in the right dosage as well. We're constantly looking to create a three-way win for Arizona homeowners, our partners, and our homeowners. And when we can connect uh, a compost, a fertilizer product that's here locally, owned by a local company, you know, that's just one more of those win-win. You, don't, you eliminate mass transportation across the state lines or even out of the country. So you reduce that. Well, and the other thing is it's a, it's a you know, we're talking sustainability. This is a product that 20 or 30 years ago guys were throwing away, hauling to the dump. It was taking up landfill space. Now we're recycling and using it uh, to grow that food again and make that whole circle of life come about. So a lot more than just a three-way win there with the Farms Choice. Thanks go. for spending Saturday morning with us. What do you get up to the rest of the weekend? Well, you know, Speaking of being behind in the garden. <laughs> Off to you that. too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>